Today in Canadian history for January 13th, I'm Mark Affelt. It was on this day back in 1944 that Major Gustav Bieler was arrested by the Gestapo at a cafe in Saint Quentin, France. Bieler emigrated from France to Quebec in the 1920s, and at the age of 38, he was recruited by the British Secret Service to become an agent of the Special Operations Executive. He spent the next year and a half working with the French Resistance, establishing a network for sabotaging German communications and railway lines. Bieler refused to betray fellow members of the resistance, even after months of torture at the hands of German interrogators. In April of 1944, Bieler was put onto a train with fellow SOE agents to Germany. He was labeled an NN prisoner, meaning Nacht und Nebel, or Night and Fog. In 1941, the Germans had established a decree that any prisoner labeled NN was to disappear. Bieler was executed by a firing squad on September 5th, 1944, at Flossenburg Concentration Camp in Bavaria. To learn more about this amazing Canadian, I spoke with Major Gustav Bieler's daughter, Jacqueline Bieler. Jacqueline has authored a biography on her father entitled Out of Night and Fog, the story of Major Guy Bieler, Special Operations Executive. Jacqueline, could you please explain to our listeners exactly what your father's mission was while he was in France? Well, his task was to uh, help uh, want to disrupt the communications. First of all, it was a canal, and uh, so they were to disrupt the the uh, the, the canal um, traffic, uh, railway traffic. And one of the ways they disrupted the railway traffic was he got in touch with the um, railway workers, les cheminots, and he provided them with axle grease that had abrasives in it. And they would they would um, do the locomotives. Uh, they would grease the locomotive wheels, and so they they wore out. Uh, they wore out much you know much sooner. And and this was much less dramatic than blowing up a train. If you blew up a train, the people in the village nearby would be um, have reprisals, and would be. Um, would be punished or shot, and and so when they used this method of uh, ruining, and they ruined a lot of, of locomotives. Um, and the other thing they, <clears throat> excuse me, they um, they attached uh, limpets, which were um, bombs, to the bottoms of boats in the canal, and then the the boats would blow up, and they would um, uh, disrupt the canal traffic. And then they worked on the, um, the telecommunication lines as well, the telephone lines. In, in order to get the supplies to do these things, the explosives and the abrasives, um, they received parachute drops in fields. And the planes, the uh, uh, some bombers, Lancaster bombers, had been converted into um, planes that would drop cylinders or drop uh, cylinders uh, packed with um, explosives and things, and they were attached to parachutes, and these would come down in a field at night. And uh, so he had to organize how, how you went about creating these parachute drops. And one of the ways they did was uh, with the radio uh, communication, they sent um, messages to Britain, and the BBC, uh, every night at 7 o'clock and 9.30, I think it was, sent messages to France, 
and these messages were personal messages. So, for instance, uh, and so when uh, there was going to be a parachute drop uh, and that it was certain that the airplane was coming, they would uh, send a message, some kind of message, like, uh, I don't know, uh, Guy is going to see his, his Christmas presents coming tonight or something, something like that. And I know that after uh, he blew up a whole lot of trains in a railway yard, um, the message was, uh, the toy maker is very angry because his toys are broken and they cannot be mended for a long time. And so... Uh, my father would organize these messages um, so that they would get receive the message, and, and the local people then who were on the team to receive the messages, they would be listening to the radios, which was illegal and punishable. Um, but when they heard their particular message, that which they had created, and then my father had sent, then they would say, "Oh, tonight we have to go out into uh, so and so's." A potato field, and and uh, and there will be a drop, and so they would go out with flashlights, and uh, they arranged the flashlights in a particular direction, um, uh, and then uh, the um, bombers would know where to to let the parachutes out of the uh, out of where the where they open they open the hatch. Is it true that the Gestapo sent out a, a specific team in search of your father? Oh yes, oh yeah, and, and he had he had because he had um, been there for fourteen months in in France, and um, he had been in uh, in that region from April until January uh, and causing havoc, and um, and everywhere he went uh, because he didn't just operate in one in one place. He went to the, all the little villages. And uh, so the Germans had a pretty good idea that there was an agent who was organizing these people. And uh, so eventually, eventually they caught him. Today is a day full of Canadian history. In 1849, the Hudson's Bay Company signed a lease with the British government granting the company control of Vancouver Island. And on January 13, 1947, Britain's Privy Council ruled that Ottawa is within its rights to make the Supreme Court of Canada the country's final court of appeal. Prior to this, Canadians had to take their cases to the Privy Council in London, England. And as always, we aired this episode of Today in Canadian History. Today in Canadian History is produced by CJSW 90.9 FM. The executive producers are Joe Burma and Mark Affeld. Original music is produced by the Fisk, Fletcher, and May Trio. Our series is not meant to be a definitive source on our past. Instead, we hope that it sparks a desire to learn more about our unique history. For more information on the series or to recommend an event or moment, check out our website at cjsw.com slash today in Canadian history. Sorry, there won't be a quiz or joke today. Rather, Jacqueline Beeler wanted to read from a letter sent to her family by the man who hosted her father the Christmas shortly prior to his capture by the Gestapo. And I think it's important to remember that these French citizens that were hosting British spies in their homes faced the risk of imprisonment or even death at the hands of the German forces. And the man writes, Our friendship with Guy was sealed here during the Christmas of 1943. Guy had accepted an invitation to come here, en famille, he said, this wartime Christmas Eve. There were present Guy, my wife, 
an English woman radio operator, and myself. We had the best Christmas Eve celebration that it was possible to have. Guy arrived in his familiar garb. He was almost always dressed as a workman, carrying two Santa Clauses, stuffed with candy for our children, and under each arm a few good bottles. We listened to the messages from London, and then the wonderful Christmas music. We had arranged a good Christmas atmosphere with the traditional pine tree and candles. Guy recited to us, as he could do so well, the beautiful poetry of Victor Hugo. We also sang Canadian and French choruses. At midnight, Guy held his head in both his hands for a long time. When this minute of silence, which, however, was much longer, was over, he was very serious and seemed completely overcome. He asked us for a pencil and wrote on the back of one of our photographs an address. Chief, French Department, Sun Life Assurance Company, Dominion Square, Montreal. Then he said to us, if misfortune overtakes me some day, write to this address. You will find my wife there. Tell her how I spent Christmas of 1943. Describe this evening to her. Tell her how I thought of them. He also used to speak to us often of his children. You have a little boy and a little girl, he said to us. His greatest pleasure was here was to go and look at my little boy and girl sleeping. They never saw him, for he did not want them to be able to chatter. We had to take so many precautions against this accursed Gestapo, but each time that he could, he went to see them asleep. He just pulled on his pipe in a pose which we remember so well, and we felt that seeing our children in some way made him think of his with greater intensity. And then he goes on, uh, my most sincere condolences and the respectful expression of our sympathy. Yeah. Yeah, I can, bar- I can barely read it without coming apart. 